Welcome back to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, which is an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth. If you are interested in finding out about our initiatives and our resources, our Catholic Women's Masterclass or our Catholic Coaching Programs for Women, please visit our website www.geniusproject.co or come and follow us on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily. You can also watch the live recordings of these podcast episodes on the Genius Project YouTube channel. Ladies, we are opening the doors for a new cohort of the Catholic Women's Masterclass. So if you're interested in joining us, please send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co or you can register online at the Genius Project website. On this week's episode of the Genius Podcast, I'm interviewing the very beautiful and wonderful Rachel Woolman. Rachel is a mother of six children. She'll share a little bit about her story in this episode. Rachel is the author of two books. The first is With All Her Mind, and I really encourage you to get a copy of this book if you're a Catholic woman who really wants to sow into your heart, mind, and soul and become the fullness of who God has created you to be. This is 16 essays written by different Catholic women tackling a different angle of what it means to be a Catholic woman in the world today. The second book that she's written is Becoming Wife, saying yes to more than just the dress. And she's going to share a little bit about both of these books in this week's conversation. So ladies, sit back, relax and enjoy this conversation with Rachel Bullman. Well, Rachel, welcome to the Genius Podcast. You're joining us all the way from the United States today. And I believe you've got a bad thunderstorm happening right now. We do. That's the summertime in Florida. That's the natural way of things around here. <laughs> uh, well, I'm incredibly jealous because we woke up to an apparent temperature this morning of minus 10 degrees Celsius. Oh my goodness. No, I would I'm, not survive. So. No, I'm, I'm deep in the um, in the sin of envy right now. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So I'll cold. soak it in for you. <laughs> oh yeah, please do. Yes. <laughs> Our friends of ours just left for Fiji actually yesterday and, and she texted wow. me a photograph this morning sitting on the beach <laughs> thought, That's right. very so nice so nice oh. I'm jealous of her so oh I texted one back of the freezing cold frozen pool glass <laughs> that's great but look Rachel it is so lovely to have you joining us I know I've been touching base with you I think it might be for quite a while and and because yes. we both have children children get sick and life happens so mm-hmm. such a gift to have you um, joining us for this conversation today and yes, I think you, you and so I share such um, a passion really for women and, and seeing Catholic women I guess living in the fullness of who God's created them to be and mm-hmm. and this conversation today we're going to dive into a couple of areas I think looking at the feminine genius and how we have to discover our identity first, but then moving more specifically into the vocation of marriage and how Mm -hmm. as Catholic women, we can serve and show up and live that vocation. So before we dive into those wonderful topics, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about your background, um, your children, and I guess where how you came to be where you are today. Sure. So oddly enough, my my story about myself really does start very young. So I was I was actually born in the Philippines. And when I was two weeks old, I was adopted by missionaries from the Assemblies of God and grew up in the, in the Assemblies of God, very devout Christians. And when I was in college, I was kind of, I think going through like a conversion, but also 
just being struck with how involved in churches I had become at that point. Um, I think I was like church burnt out, you know, Mm. and I remember still, of course, holding on to my core faith in who God is and how much he loves me, but wasn't, I was kind of like, just kind of floating in the ether of a faith and then started dating who would now is my husband, Jason. And I was leaving work one night and a young lady that I worked with, we'd always talk about our dating lives. And so I asked her, I said, I'm dating a new guy. And she goes, yeah, me too. She goes, is the guy that you're dating a Christian? And I said, yes. And I said, what about the guy that you're dating? She goes, no, he's Catholic. (laughs) And I was like, wait, I was like, are Catholics not Christians? And she Mm -hmm. said, no, of course not. (laughs) So I was really, I had never heard that before. Um, And just from knowing him and knowing his parents, Like I knew that they were Christians because of how well they loved me. And so I left work immediately, like beeline to his house, his parents' house. And we just sat there kind of discussing this and just kind of came to the conclusion that we both couldn't be right. And I said, we just have to figure this out. And we had only been dating for a couple of months, really. And so that led me to come into the Catholic church. I did it secretly for about three months before I told him that I'd entered into RCIA and came into the church in 2008 in Easter. And then... We were married that Christmas in 2008. And so now we have six children. We also have another child in heaven. And then he was just ordained to the permanent diaconate. So it's been a year now that he's been in the permanent diaconate. And it's just been a wonderful adventure. Wow. That's amazing. So how old were you when you became a Catholic? Yeah. So I was 26 years old when I came into the church. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so the three months where you didn't tell him, you just wanted to find your feet. and Yeah. I mean, we had talked about it previously because I was curious and all of my, at that point, I remember thinking someone had kind of posited to me, you know, RCIA doesn't necessarily mean you'd have to become Catholic. You can just come and, and ask questions and just learn. Mm-hmm. And so we had talked about his mom going with me, but the more that I prayed about it, I really wanted to do it on my own. Like I really wanted to make sure that I was doing it free from any other influence other than just my desire to, to find the truth. And, and so I did it for three months. I drove to a parish that was about an hour away from my house. Um, once a week, I remember calling the faith formation director and she just got a kick out of me. She's like, Rachel, you're going to come do this for a year. And I was like, yes, I know it's fine. And so, um, so I did that for a few months. He was away. He's a, he's a PA. So he was in um, PA medical school doing that. And we weren't seeing each other a lot anyway. And I remember calling him and being like, I can't do this anymore. And he thought I was breaking up with him. Oh. And in reality, <laughs> I was telling him I'm going to become Catholic. So it, it was a much better news than what he thought. So yes, he would have been thrilled. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Incredible journey though, Rachel, just to go. From yes. It's been wonderful. That, that journey into the Catholic church and what a beautiful, beautiful um, gift for your husband. Amen. Amen. It's been yeah. so, and during that time he was going through his own conversion too, just kind of finding his, his faith again. And so it was just a really beautiful journey that neither one of us knew that we were on the same journey going in the same direction. So it's really, really beautiful now. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and you've done a lot of work. You've written two books and you've done a lot of work with Catholic women. I know that you're on the board for the Given Institute. Can you share a little mm-hmm. bit about how you found yourself in that niche? Well, you know, I am um, just growing up. I remember being in ministry growing up just in the Protestant church. And then when I came over to 
to the Catholic church when I crossed the Tiber, one of my things at the very beginning was, oh man, I'm just going to throw off everything that reminded me of, of me as a Protestant. And so it really included all of my gifts and talents that the Lord given me from writing to singing to any kind of public speaking. I was like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. Like that was when I was Protestant. We're not doing that anymore. And so when I came to the church, there was a long period where I was very shy about it. Didn't want anyone to know that I did anything like that ever. And and finally, you know, when we try to deny our calling or deny our mission, it always finds a way to kind of reveal itself. We can fight against it, kick against the goad, but it always finds a way. And so slowly but surely, you know, the onion layers are being peeled back. And I remember just finally saying, okay, fine, I'll write again. I'll do these things again. So I just started doing it. It was like a a floodgate just opened. And then what was really beautiful was that I had kind of just told God, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. And, and so for me, I have three, we have six children and three of those children are girls. And I remember the first time that we had a daughter, our third child was a, was a little girl. And I remember sitting there just staring at her and, you know, with every kid, you're like, I can stare at you for hours. But I remember thinking like, you're a girl. Like I had these two little boys who were all just rough and tumble, all boy, but there was just something about my daughter and, and something about all of my daughters. But I remember looking at Gemma and just being struck by her femininity, even if she was just a baby, just being struck by the fact that she was the crown of creation. Mm-hmm. And, and from there, the Lord just continues to open doors. You know, I thought all of these things, this is probably what I'll be doing. I'll be doing maybe youth and, or young adults or something. And the Lord is just like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have you do this. This is where I want you. And so it's just been such a beautiful, beautiful mission to be with other women that are trying to find out how much Christ loves them and where he's calling them to be. And so there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. It's yeah, been great. Beautiful. Such a gift. Before we go in and look at those books, I'm interested. There's a, you've appeared with your family, haven't you on a TV show? Is that correct? Yes. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Is it Meet the Bullmans? Meet the Bullmans, yes. And tell so there's, me what there's, that was like, because I cannot imagine having my family exposed to the world like Oh, that. my gosh. Well, it How was so funny happen? because, well, Father Steve Grinnell, who is the, he's the CEO of World on Fire Ministries, he had called us and he said, you know, we really got to talk. And and the thing is, is that I was pregnant with the twins. I had just announced that they, that they were coming. And then, you know, it was probably two or three months after that announcement. And they were kind of doing some new things on their YouTube channel. And he brought up this reality show <laughs> and, and told us to take it to prayer. And so I remember Jason and I just got, we got off the phone and we were like, what does this entail? Like if there's going to be cameras following me around hard, no, like I don't want to do that. (laughs) And so the way I know I was like, I don't want people to see all of that. That is way too much. So what we ended up doing was we have a sunroom on the back of the house that we had put some camera equipment in. And so it was kind of like just sitting down with my husband and I at the end of the week. And then all of the B-roll or the scenes that, because the the topic was usually something that we had faced that week as a family and how God revealed himself during that week. And so then the B-roll from other things that happened during that week was, were things that we did ourselves, like either shot it on my phone or something that we had to capture in some other way. And then the producers did such a beautiful job just putting it all together. And every episode was a surprise to me too. You know, even though we recorded it, they had to cut things down. I mean, every episode is probably, I think the longest one might be 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so just the the beauty of putting all those things together and it coming out into these episodes that I remember crying. I was laughing. I was like, am I crying at the 
my own what's happening but my own story. you know yeah what is so but it's just it's such a great thing and we there's 12 episodes out there and it's really just to show people that family life is beautiful it's joyful like we have six kids and there's chaos but there's always also peace and joy and so much love way more than we ever thought we could ever have or handle yeah. Beautiful. That's amazing. I hats off to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite an achievement. Um, Rachel, I'd love to talk to you for a moment just about your book um, that you wrote for women specifically, because Mm -hmm. as I was sharing with you, I saw it and I grabbed and I ordered it because the Ford's written by Tracy Rowland, who was the dean of the John Paul II Institute where my husband and I studied, not actually realizing that you were the editor of this book. And it was, and I've had it for about, I don't know, since it was released. And it was only about a month ago. I clicked, I was like, oh, Rachel, (laughs) you're the editor of this amazing book. And it's a beautiful collection of essays by different Catholic women, just really inviting women into, I guess, a consideration and reflection on the intellectual life and what this means. I think there's sometimes... There are some women who think, oh, that's academia. That's, you know, when we hear intellectual life, some women can close down to that because they're like, I'm not smart. Mm -hmm. I'm not an academic. Can you share a little bit about this invitation that all women have to the intellectual life and why it's so important for us? Sure. So I think one of the things that really came to mind as we were thinking about, you know, what could a book for women look like today? And, and right now you could go down and you could find a ton of books for women, right? You could find a ton of books about becoming mothers and some on, you know, matrimony and, and being daughters of God. And they're, they're very kind of spiritually based, but there wasn't a whole lot exploring the, the wholeness of the person. And that includes the intellectual life. And so we're talking about the heart and forgetting all about our mind. And I remember thinking this would be something that I would have really wanted to read. Mm. I really wish that there was something like this in the world. And, and so thankfully, you know, we're on fire. So that's, let's do it. So I made this list of, of women that had spoken to me through their own ministries and really prayed with, you know, what's a topic that I would want this person to then tell me about the intellectual life. And it was just, it's almost like, like we sat in a room together and wrote the book together because of the continuity that seems to be between each essay, but it was just the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're all sending them to me at various times. No one's talked to each other. And I'm reading it and just my jaw was on the floor. Like, this wow. is so, so good. The Holy Spirit. And just something that I, yes, Holy Spirit was working. And so I'm so excited to be able to have something that I, I can give to my daughters. And if, if God wills it for my granddaughters and just something to continue passing on to let women know that the fullness of who you are lies in your feminine genius, which includes your heart and includes your mind, includes your soul. And I mean, even scripture tells us, you know, to worship God with all your mind, heart, and soul. And so we have to do that. And when we neglect it, we neglect the full view of who God is calling us to be. And so I am so pleased with it. The more and more that and I reread it. I've read through and read these essays over and over again and just continue to be compelled to shout it from the roof, rooftops, you know, that you have the gift to think and to use it well. Yes, absolutely. And it's so important because out of our mind, our, you know, it is our thoughts that shape our feelings, which shape how we show up in the world. And so we really need that deep formation. And I think one thing we don't realize is we are constantly being formed by everything around right. us. Our minds are constantly being formed and manipulated by advertising, social media, what we watch on television, what we choose to read, the music we listen to. 
you know, you and I both have children. So we're always on Mm -hmm. about being good stewards over your mind. But I think as we grow up, and especially if we've been walking the faith for a long time, we can forget that we're still called to steward our mind in such a way that we would be encouraging our children to steward their minds. And I I think this is a really important challenge for women because the great temptation is social media. That's the most obvious Mm -hmm. one. And we have to realize that that the amount of time we spend scrolling or, or comparing on social media, we could actually be spending, that could be an investment in forming our mind. And it's just right. so important. I know that when I got a revelation of John Paul II's feminine genius, um, we had six years of infertility. And that's when I first came across Mulieris mm. Dignitatum. And it just ignited something within my spirit. Then we went and studied at the John Paul II Institute. And once again, that's what I really, I just dove into the feminine genius. But similar back then, way back 2003, I came across a book called God's Call to Women. And it was similar mm. to what you've done. It was a whole lot of essays by different women. And I just devoured it because my my spirit wow. and my mind was so hungry for the, the spiritual formation, yes, but the intellectual formation and then how that actually impacted my everyday life as a woman. So in the church, we can have these concepts like high in the sky concepts, but there's a real art in drawing down those concepts and looking at how we can apply them in our practical everyday lives. And I think that's where the formation of our minds is so important. Do you, I guess, do you have advice for women who haven't been investing I guess, in their mind and in, in the intellectual sure. life, how they can do that and why why it's just so crucial in this world today. You know, I think first and foremost that um, what you said is so important that you're always being formed, that we're always taking something in, whether it's us looking out the window when we're driving down the road or it's scrolling social media while you're waiting in line or it's the music. It's all these all these different avenues that we're being taught to think in that way. And so learning how to think on your own is so, so important. And that's something that has to come from within and something that really has to be honed. It can't be brought to you from outside. It's something that's within you. And so I would tell every woman that the church loves you and the church is for you and the church has something for you. You know, the world tries to tell us, you know, the church doesn't like women. The church doesn't, doesn't want good things for you. And I'm telling you the exact opposite, that the church has something good and beautiful for you. The other thing that I would tell you is that the intellectual life is huge. It's much broader than the academic classroom. It's much broader than philosophy and theology. Those are great foundations for it. And I would encourage everyone to make sure that they start there. If they can find something within those realms to begin but there's so much more. And, and the person that gets exhausted trying to find, gosh, well, what does the intellectual life have for me? I would encourage you to persevere because you're going to find something that speaks to your soul because of the depth and the breadth of what the church is calling you to think about. I mean, the church is calling us to think about how we treat one another. How do we, how do we practice human dignity? The church is calling us into understand what our vocation is. How are we called to then practice loving the world? And so there, there's an exhaustive list. You can never know the church, just like we can't know one another. We can know of one another, but 
the depth of her is something that is inexhaustible. And so we have to know that you just have to persevere. I promise you that there's going to be something that just ignites a flame. And, and John Paul II is a great place to start. You know, if you haven't picked up Moliere Stignitatum, if you haven't picked up Redemptoris Mater, if you like poetry, go and read the jeweler's workshop, go and read all the things that this man has left for us. And someone who speaks so, so beautifully and profoundly to the, to the heart of the woman there, you're going to find something that really makes you open your mind to everything that your heart has to offer to the world. Yeah, it's so important, Rachel, isn't it? And I think in our current cultural climate where there's so many debates about what it means to be a human person, what it means to be a man, what it means mm-hmm. to be a woman specifically, uh, right. this becomes ever more pressing that we really need to understand that the Lord has given us our own unique spiritual gifts as women and, and then how to cultivate those. And, you know, Scripture says, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. So mm-hmm. it's really through the intellectual life and through renewing of our mind that we, I guess we can grow into the fullness of who God's created us to be. So very important. Yeah. So Rachel, moving from there, I I think, you know, in our lives as women, before we step out into our vocation, we need that revelation and that sense of who we are as the beloved daughter. But then for some women, they're called to married life and that's how they live their universal call to holiness out and you've Mm -hmm. written another book um, around marriage and just the vocation of marriage and this is where I'd love to spend a fair bit of our time in our conversation today because I love the title and I'm just wondering if you can share what prompted you to write that book and I guess a little bit of an overview about the key concepts in it. Yeah so um, there is actually a book that was written by Adrienne von Speyer um, a, a mystic German, I can't remember, she's German. I always get them confused. The German and Austrian people are going to be very upset with me that I get them confused, but, but <laughs> she okay. was, she actually honestly might even be Swiss. Anyway, Adrian von Spire, <laughs> amazing, mystic, beautiful writer, and, and has just given a, a, a lot to the church. And so she wrote a book called Handmaid of the Lord, and it's about the blessed mother. And I remember just reading this book and thinking constantly about what this looks like for my own life and and who I've been called to be as a daughter, as a wife, and as a mother. And so that that was one thing. Then I later meet Edith Stein, who, of course, continues to introduce an, another thought that John Paul II continued to introduce, which was that holiness is something that is that is a calling and a task, that it's something that we we are and something that we are becoming. And so Edith Stein talks about that, about being and then becoming, and the fact that the human person, at once we are we are people, we are persons, but the more that we become holy, the more that we align our lives with the will of God, that we become more persons, like you become more human, the closer you, you get to Christ. And so then scroll on down the road and we meet Joseph Ratzinger. And so he introduced something called the, the, the fundamental pattern of the human person. And he said that every person is called to be a, a son or a daughter. They're, they're a child. You're called to be spouse and you're called to be parent. He's like, doesn't matter what vocation you are, what what where the Lord is calling you to be, everyone is going to be with those three things. You're going to be child, spouse, and parent. And you will always be those three, three things in that order. And that when we get out of that order, 
is when, when things become disordered and when it's not that there's, if you get out of the order, it can't be reclaimed and healed, but that it makes things more difficult because they fall out of line with the perfect design that God has in, in t- entrusted to the person. Mm-hmm. And so I remember thinking, gosh, if I go out to, to the store and I want to pick up a book on becoming a daughter of God, they're everywhere. And if I want to pick up a book on, on becoming a mother, like rearing children in this world, there's a ton of books out there. And so I'm in formation for the permanent diaconate with my husband. And we're learning about matrimony and about his call, which is a vocation within a vocation. And I'm like, gosh, I really need to find a book on like becoming a wife. And I really couldn't find a whole lot. There were things that talked about marriage in general, but there wasn't a whole lot that was geared towards the wife or to spousality, you know? And I was just constantly praying about this. And, and then this book came about. So it's becoming wife because one of the first statements that I say in the book is that you are a wife, but you're always becoming more and more wife. Mm -hmm. You are a spouse, but you're becoming more and more spouse. And so it's learning to abide with, and the more that you learn to abide with the other and journey with them, then you're also learning to be gift. And the more that you're able to be gift in Gaudium et Spes, it says that the, the human person, the man is the only creature who is made, who by finding himself has to make a sincere gift of self. That's the only way that that happens is that we make a sincere gift of self and then we just, we figure out who we are. And so in this call to matrimony, the more and more that I'm able to give of myself to my spouse, the more and more that I discover who I am. And so there's, there's lots of different concepts. My favorite in there are like on evangelization, the role of marriage and evangelization. I talk about healing, the healing that's offered to one another through our love for one another. Um, I talk about the, how the yes of the blessed mother is encompassed in all of our yeses. And, and when we say yes to one another, we're saying yes to all of it. You're not just saying yes to, to the particular things that you really wanted for this life, but you're saying yes to the things that you don't want to. And, and so there's so many aspects of it, but it's a very short book. i really hope that that it'll it'll help women to to understand that being a wife is not a small task it's it's a call to holiness mm-hmm. and and understanding what this vocation truly means and the gravity that comes when we decide to say yes at the altar oh absolutely and i love the title it's becoming wife saying yes to more than the dress I love yes. that. It's great. I like the <laughs> tagline because yes. I think, you know, Jonathan and I have done relationships education with young people and marriage prep for the last 20 years. And what I see, and even our own experience, so much emphasis is placed on the wedding day. And during yes. that season of engagement, we're sort of trained and conditioned to think that is the culmination, the wedding day. Right. That, that is actually <laughs> the beginning and it is. You know, back pre-COVID when we had conferences galore, I would speak at a men's conference and I would say that's actually the day that you have to start learning to love your wife, learning how right. she, she operates, how she needs to be loved and cherished. And I would say the same to women too, that that wedding day is the start of your training into how to love that other person. It's mm-hmm. so important. I think we sometimes lose that in, I guess, that marriage preparation season, because it is busy, but there is a higher vision and a a higher calling that we're moving towards. Right. And it's really just not letting those things take away from, from what you're really being called to do. You're really being called to become saints. And so all of the distractions, 
questions that that come up, the disagreements, you know, the things that it reveals about the wounds in your family, the things that you reveal about the wounds that you carry in your own heart as you go forward, the, the things that are going to be revealed about your spouse as you're planning. And even as you're starting to live together, right? Like that's the drawer I always use. Don't use that drawer. Oh, I face this way. Why are you facing <laughs> this way in the bed? All of these things oh, that you think things. that, man, these are not big deal. But then as you start to learn to live with someone and to make space in your own heart for them to dwell, there's a lot that you're going to learn and, and they should all be a way for you to find your way to holiness, to Absolutely. become saints. And so everything else is distractions. They are. And I often say to women, the irritations are actually invitations. So they are every irritation, every obstacle, every cross that we have to carry in that situation is the invitation. And that is the invitation to love as Christ loves. And and that is the fulfillment of who we are as people is to live into Mm -hmm. that self-gift and and laying our life down for one another. I mean, we always make the distinction, obviously, there's some marriages where there are very unhealthy habits, but these these principles are for the generally healthy relationship. I think it's important to always clarify that for people. Yes. And and we forget, you know, whether you're in on the road to you're in that preparation stage, there's lots in there that will that will help whether you are many, many years past, you know, and you you feel like, oh, we've been married for 25 years. Why do I want to read this work work about becoming wife? Well, you're still becoming a wife. And so it's, it's so important for us to realize that you can never stop dating your spouse. My kids think it's hilarious. We're like, we're going on a date. And our daughters the other day kept laughing like, mom, y'all are married already. Like, why are you, why do you keep going on dates? And we're like, we're going to keep going on dates forever because I am still learning how to love him well. And he's learning how to love me well. And more than importantly is we're learning how to receive it well and learning how to be loved well. And so there's just so much that, that can continue to be said about this. And I, I, I hope that everyone, whether they're a woman or man, will pick it up and just learn more about what it is to be a spouse yeah. and to what it is to become wife. Absolutely. Because we never quite arrive. I think that's a very good point that you make. I think so many people and women that I see, they enter into that sort of stale season of marriage. And Mm -hmm. and I truly believe that we talk about the qualities that make a good relationship and everyone says communication, trust, honesty. I would say the standout quality that leads to a successful relationship is that of humility, is is the receptivity to always be growing, to always be learning. We've never arrived where we've got Mm -hmm. it all worked out. And I think, you know, our life is a constant evolution until the day we die of of who we Mm -hmm. are and the challenges that come are shaping and molding us. And so it's so important to just always have that heart of receptivity to growth and to learning what the Lord wants to teach us. I am. Yes, there's this, there's a great Latin phrase in Statue VA that we're always on the way. And so we never, everything, you're always on the way. And we do incorrectly view all kinds of things in our lives, milestones is like, well, this is the the marker. Like this is the, I finally arrived, you know, and it's when you start doing that, that you're no longer going anywhere. And so we really have to just continue thinking we're always on the way. We're on our way to becoming saints. Yeah, it's so funny. I, when you were talking before, I was thinking the other day, my husband was just dancing with me in the kitchen and kissed me. And my youngest was like, oh, that's so gross. <laughs> and it's so funny that's because right. I think it's you were talking about how we're constantly learning to love and, and the mission of our marriage. And there is that missionary aspect to marriage, isn't there? That firstly, in mm-hmm. the domestic church, in the home, that we're witnessing that love to our children. And then beyond the walls of our home, 
there is a missionary aspect to marriage. And if we're truly living a Catholic marriage, then our marriage is a sign and a symbol for God's love. Mm-hmm. And I think we so easily in this culture of just, there's it's just busy, the entitlement, the, right. the me culture that's just, I'm not happy anymore, therefore I shouldn't be here or I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Right. It's time to move on. We've lost a sense, I think, of duty, of, of service, of really what right. it means to sacrifice and to truly love somebody. Like when we talk about falling in love, it's all the beautiful elements, isn't it? Like the nice feelings and mm-hmm. the cherishing and the romance. But true love is actually to will the good of the other and to really will their good means to hope that they will grow into the fullness of who God's created them to be. And I think the challenge for so many is that they get stuck in, I guess, a worldly perspective on happiness, right. marriage, mm-hmm. and love. But as Catholics, if we truly are living in a Catholic marriage, then we we have to elevate our gaze to heaven constantly. And that takes a lot of discipline mm-hmm. and work in this world, I believe, today. It does. And a lot of people want to shy away from that. You know, I think as as Catholic Christians, we can say, what what's the image that that epitomizes what love is for us? And it should be Christ on the Christ on the cross. And if Christ is on the cross and that's your image of love, then that's what your marriage should be, that it should be suffering to death, to to pouring out completely for your spouse, to being, being able to be poured out in ways that that make you die to self. Mm-hmm. And that makes people uncomfortable. Suffering is is something that a lot of us shy away from. And so being able to suffer well is a true gift of, of a good, authentic Catholic marriage is to be able to suffer well. You know, I, the other day we were, we were laughing because we had just had a, one of those days, you know, and um, we were kind of counting down when the twins are going to go to bed because they were just having this very moody day. <laughs> and my husband laughed. He said, I bet people think that every day is like this for us. <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, you're probably right. You know, I feel like we don't have these days that often. And it's not that you know, the kids are not acting crazy sometimes. And it's not like there aren't things breaking around the house and people are sick. Those things still happen. It's just about just about what your perspective is. Yes. What, what's your hermeneutic? Where, where are you viewing? And so the moment that you take your eyes off the fact that you were on your way somewhere and you grow stagnant and want to gaze at the things, it's that 80-20 rule. You know, you're gazing at the 20% that happens to be horrible right now instead of seeing the 80% that has been given and you've been blessed with, and even the trouble you've been blessed with too. Yeah. But it's when you when you look and you're like, gosh, you know, like, like God telling Adam and Eve, you can have everything in the garden except this one tree. And we just get distracted by the tree. The one tree. And, <laughs> and, right, the one tree in all of the garden, literally all of creation that you could know. And you're like, eh really want the one tree. Yes. And so we have to just change our perspective. And that perspective has to always be towards becoming who we're called to be. Yeah. And that's becoming like Christ. It's on our way to heaven. It's it's becoming saints. And it makes the suffering love. It redeems the suffering and makes it into love when your hermeneutic is the right hermeneutic. Yes. And then that's sort of linked back to this call to the intellectual life because it's what are Mm -hmm. we feeding our soul, feeding our minds with that forms, I guess, our worldview and our perspective. 
often say that we can sow a famine or a feast into our life. Mm. And when you hit difficult times, you'll know what you've been sowing because you will either have something or you'll have nothing to draw upon. Amen. And the reality is in marriage. I mean, Jesus says when the day of trouble comes, we will all hit those seasons in marriage. It happens to everybody. So it's how will you navigate those difficult seasons um, that will see you come through the other side with a deeper love. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, through our our marriage, we've been married for 15 years. And of course, we've lost loved ones along the way. We've had different injuries to the children, hospitalizations and surgeries and and different different things that have come down down to very minuscule things. Like we had a huge leak in our in our irrigation system this week that shut down water to the house, you know, for a couple of days. And I think there are a lot of situations that people would look at and go, what is going on? You know, you want to put a full stop on your whole life because if they, if all these things are going wrong, if I'm suffering all these things and I must be doing something horribly, but I love the saying that says, if you don't wake up in the morning and run face first into the enemy, then you're going in the same direction. And so it's realizing that when trouble comes, like you said, you you better be sowing all of the feasts so that you have something stored up. Your storehouses better be filled with gratitude. They better be filled with joy. They better be filled with peace. Fill them with all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit so that when the time does come and you are starving, you can you can really sink your teeth into the things that you've saved in your soul and in your mind. Mm, I love that idea of the storehouse. Sometimes we need a visual, don't we? to Mm -hmm, to place ourselves within. That's a beautiful one. Rachel, can you tell me, women who might be going through those sort of stale and difficult seasons of marriage, what are some of the things that they could do? Can you speak into that season for women, women who feel perhaps they have a husband who's not on the same page as them and perhaps they've hit a snag in the marriage where they would like something to be different, but he's not willing to come to the table, what would you say to women in that position and season? Well, the first thing I would do is, is remind you to look back and remember why you said yes in the first place. You know, why did you say yes to this proposal of being his wife? Why did you say yes to, to the dress, to everything? Why did you say yes to this, this life with him? And then remind yourself of the fact that women especially are called to see something beyond this present moment. You know, that the blessed mother knew, you know, in Jewish, in Jewish tradition, all of the women knew that someone was going to be called to be the mother of the Messiah. And so it wasn't a surprise when Mary found out that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah because she knew it was someone. It was the surprise that it was her, Her. (laughs) but because her, her heart had been formed in such a way, she was willing to say yes. And she was willing to say yes to whatever that meant. And so for us being called to be like our, our lady, then when you said yes, you knew that the future was, was filled with something beyond anything that you could imagine. And are there times of crucifixion? Are there times where it's a silent Holy Saturday and there's a silent Good Friday and there's pain and suffering? Yes. But when you said yes in the beginning, you knew that there was something beautiful on the other side. You saw in this man something that he could become something that you know he is called to do because of the way that he has loved you. And so it's reminding you of those things, remembering who you know he is, and then bringing that to Christ and asking God to then show you, how can I help him remember who he is? But first you have to remember who you are. And so 
that's one of the things that we do together as spouse is that we're able to, to continue to show one another with the reflection of, of Christ in us, because we are each made in his image. And so when we forget who we are called to be, then it's very easy to forget who they're called to be. Mm-hmm. And so when we get distracted by, by the things that they're not doing, by the things that they're forgetting, by the lack of, of fervor or passion that we feel that we, they have for us, it's then easy to forget who we are. And so remember why you started, remember who you are, and then garnish and ask for the graces to then remind him of who he is. But you can't do that if you've forgotten who you are along the way. Absolutely. And I think that's where the invitation for so many women is to really invest in, I guess, their own spiritual, personal growth and always being a student in life. I I think that is key because if you're constantly being a student, you're constantly looking at how can I grow? How can I show up as my best self in this relationship? How can I serve my husband? So important. Amen. When yes. you were talking then, I, I was just reminded by, there's a book by um, John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. And mm. he says that the bait of Satan is actually a fence. And I think mm. sometimes when we hit, you know, those seasons of marriage where we're just in the grind with the children of the work and whatever it right. is, it's so easy to be offended. But I always have this principle of trying to assume the best instead of jumping to a conclusion about what my husband's motives might be. Sure. Always assuming the best and seek clarification and, and not to take the offense and the bait of Satan because mm-hmm. that's what breeds you know, the Bible says, don't let the root of bitterness, don't let bitterness take root in your heart because it's like right. a cancer that just spreads. And and so within marriage, it's so easy for those little irritations to build up. And then you've created this whole narrative about your spouse's motivations oh and what they're doing when you could be completely off base. Even if your spouse yes. is um, criticizing you, I often say, just pause Yes, the criticism might hurt. Yes, it might not be delivered in a very respectful way. But what is the complaint behind the criticism? Because there's always an unmet need there. And I think as women, Mm -hmm. how we can show up in our marriages, just in a little bit of, we just need to shift that needle a little bit to show how how we're showing up because it can change the trajectory of where our marriages go. And so I think your book really gives women a lot of insights and just food for thought around how they can shift that needle so that they're showing up in a way that truly is there to be a gift to their spouse and, and to grow in holiness and to be sanctified through the beautiful vocation. Yeah. One of the things that, um, what you were just saying made me think of is that, and I talk about a little bit in the book is that we, especially for, for women. And and I'm sure that a lot of us are like overthinkers, right? We've imagined this whole, this whole reality really that exists in our mind that we think that this is what they mean. And this is, this is what this meant, you know? And so we have to just continue to, to fight for what is right in front of us fight for the reality that you've actually been given instead of trying to create something or fall for all of the things that the enemy has done. And that, that, that the fact that the enemy builds fences, I would let you know that too, that 98% of the time we've helped him build the fence. And so it's, it's being able to be aware that, that your spouse, when, when times are tough and, and like you said, he says a criticism not only what's the complaint, but where, where is he at at this moment? Is he exhausted? Is, is it, there, there is an unmet need sometimes that doesn't have anything to do with the complaint. And so just being able to, to be predisposed to want their good, to be predisposed, to be uh, trans transparent and transcending yourself to always desire 
the good for them is going to really open up your eyes to not be someone that that's building up this false reality, having conversations that have never been had, you know, and being able to really hone in on what was he saying? What did he mean? If you don't know what he means, ask him, you know, stop. We continue to play games well into marriage. And so make an agreement to stop doing that because it's no longer a game. I mean, now this is about your salvation. You know, your, your marriage is about holiness. And so being able to put forever kind of effort into a forever kind of thing is important in this place. And so, uh, yeah, that's really, really beautiful to, to keep your feet grounded in what's been given to you. Oh, absolutely, Rachel. So good. So Rachel, can you tell me where women can get a copy of your book, where they can find you in the, on the internet, social media, so they can follow along? Sure. So I'm on social media, pretty active on, on Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Um, Rachel Bullman tried to make that pretty easy. And rachelbullman.com is the website and they can get with all her mind from the word on fire bookstore or on Amazon. And then um, becoming wife saying yes to more than the dress is out there on the OSV bookstore website, or you can find it on Amazon and in a lot of retail places where you can get a book, you should be able to find that one too. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. It's such a blessing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rachel and myself. I really would love to encourage you to get a copy of both of her books. As she said, you can find them on Amazon or Word on Fire. I'll leave some notes in the show notes so that you can click through to order those. If you've liked this conversation, could I ask you to do me a small favor and head on over to the podcast platform that you're listening to and just leave a quick rating and review. This really helps to support the work of The Genius Podcast and the work that we do here at The Genius Project. Until next week, ladies, have a beautiful week and God bless you.